Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now searching for Mystical Spider. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the first trailer for Deadpool and Wolverine, and we also have a film review for Madam Web. Plus, I'm talking everything that's going on with Xbox, and Damon will be giving us the latest in wrestling. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. Also, if you'd like to further support The Amazing Nerd Show, make sure to check out our Patreon in the show notes. Or go to patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow. But with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions warning potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead check timestamps to avoid spoilers you have been warned all right up first the mcu has officially announced the cast for their upcoming fantastic four film well the official news has finally dropped from marvel studios with exactly who our fantastic four will be starring in this film will of course be pedro pascal as mr fantastic Vanessa Kirby as the Invisible Woman, with Eben Moss Picard as the Thing, and Joseph Quinn as the Human Torch. Many of these names have been floating around for quite a while, but it's great to finally see an official word ending all the speculation. This was shared with a pretty nice Valentine's Day poster featuring all the actors in their respective parts hanging out. Uh, the film has been given a new release date as well. Um, it will be coming out July 25th, 2025, which was originally the slot for Thunderbolts, but that movie has also also been you know brought up now in the pipeline shifting to may 2nd 2025 so it's a big year for marvel teams all around i mean like you said this entire cast has been heavily rumored for quite a while now so i'm just glad that it's official uh i think this is an incredibly talented group of people who as long as they have the right script should absolutely kill it uh the one thing that i do have mixed feelings about well besides herbie I hate that fucking robot, but that's a story for another day. Um, it looks like the poster might confirm the rumor that this film might take place in the past. Um, judging by the magazine cover, the thing is holding. It looks like it's going to take place in the 60s. Oh, I did not notice the magazine. Uh, I don't know. Like, I just want to get the ball rolling at this point. I mean, we're already dealing with the multiverse. Like, do we want to add another time travel tale on top of things? It just feels too convoluted and messy i mean if you're gonna choose to keep them isolated and make this like franchise a period piece almost then that's fine but if this is just gonna lead them to finding some kind of plot device to show up in present day and like tell another fish out of water story which we got already with captain america um i don't know like it just feels a little redundant like i don't even want an origin story um i just feel like we've seen that so many times like everyone knows the origin story of the fantastic four there's no need to rehash it so and there we've got rumors that they're looking to cast silver surfer and galactus um which is a huge story so I, I feel like if you throw that in with time travel and once again, all my fears might be unfounded and this film might take place in present day and I'm just completely going off the rails speculating. But like, 
it just feels like if you add like time travel in you know or the multiverse of it all like it's just gonna be too much you know for one film um like they're biting off more than they could really chew speaking of which do you think there's a possibility that this might actually be a multiverse tell like this could be taking place in another reality um you know since we're headed towards like secret wars because it would be a little odd if this film does take place in the mcu's past and we haven't even heard a mention of the fantastic four you know previously you know what there is a potential to do that i think in my mind i i was guessing that they might if if this did become like you know a multiversal tale that they would start in you know the main continuity and then you know pop out into another universe or go out into space and maybe that would be the explanation for how they come back kind of a la um you know captain marvel but yeah i didn't think about the time travel aspect of it um it's very possible you know if they want to play off of kind of like older marvel tropes too to like you know introduce these characters especially since they're one of the like first teams in marvel you know it's definitely something i could see them potentially doing um you know we had it introduced in the marvels where you can be thrown into another universe so it's potential that that could have happened as well i'm just glad that we got the official announcement and i'm happy to see this team finally you know make it to the mcu well up next we've got another marvel team rumored to be making their mcu debut Insider Daniel Richmond sources claim that there may have been some truth to the rumor spread around Reddit last year of a Midnight Suns project being in the works over for the MCU. It's said to be a film in development with director Michael Giacchino at the helm. Michael last worked with Marvel on the Werewolf by Night special. Uh, this also comes after Oscar Isaac in a you know, recent panel at the Middle East Film and Comic Con convention mentioned his own interest in seeing Moon Knight in a team like you know, the Midnight Suns to see how that dynamic would play out. So can we get like a solid Blade film out first before we start talking a Midnight Sun movie? I mean, <laughs> speaking of which, there are rumors once again this week that the Blade movie might be in jeopardy. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but listen, like I do like the idea of the Midnight Suns film uh, eventually, but <sighs> I would just pump the brakes and slow down a little. Like, I loved Werewolf by Night. Uh, and I think we talked about it at the time that it came out, uh, that how cool it would be if they released a new special every Halloween, introducing a brand new character leading into a Midnight Suns film, possibly, or show of some sort. Um, I would at least, you know, do that with some of the smaller, lesser known characters, like, you know, your brother Voodoo's, if you will. Uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with playing the long game. Uh, it, it's when the studios start rushing shit like this that, you know, they get themselves in trouble quality wise. Uh, but I mean, we've talked about that in nauseam. I, I would love to see a situation where you get like Doctor Strange or something like that, putting the team together and, you know, he goes ahead and sends them on like missions you know the kind of shit that he doesn't want to get his hands dirty doing um i think that'd be a really cool concept to kind of explore you know on that like supernatural level but again i think you're right i feel like if they were to do a midnight suns project that's like 10 years out from now just because of the amount of characters that they would need to introduce because I, I would want you know a ghostwriter to be a part of that and stuff like that so i don't know um 
I, I'm down for the concept. I, I think the team is pretty fucking awesome. You know, it's those are the types of characters I've usually liked in Marvel the most. So I'm I'm interested, but I feel like it's got to be years out before we get something like this. So let's move on because we've got an update on the future of a Miles Morales live action film. In an interview spot with Variety, Amy Pascal claimed that the live action Miles Morales film wouldn't begin production until at least two other Spider projects were finished, in which director Christopher Miller took to X to clarify that she meant after the completion of the Beyond the Spider-Verse film, and the next live action Tom Holland Spider-Man film. So it's probably gonna be, you know, at least four to five years before, you know, we get to see anything coming from Miles in the live action side. But you know that Sony is, you know, gearing up for this either way. So currently Spider-Man's greatest villain is officially no longer the Green Goblin or Dr. Octopus. It's the fucking studio executives at Sony. Um, <laughs> Spider-Verse aside, I can no longer handle them being in control of all things Spider-Man. They absolutely have no clue what the hell they're doing with this IP. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they just see it as a cash cow to milk fucking dry, but I'm begging of you, please stop. I mean, it's just so detrimental to the character and, you know, all of his ancillary, you know, care, supporting characters. I mean, it's it just the comic book film genre and as a whole, like, you know, it, I said it before, if anyone is to partially blame for comic book fatigue, it's fucking Sony. They just don't understand this character and this universe. And like, worst of all, I don't think they care. Um, hopefully Madam Web will be some sort of wake up call for them because it's just getting critically blasted right now. And financially, it looks like it's going to be a huge flop. Uh, like, I mean, <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I want to see a Miles Morales live action film, but in the MCU proper. I mean, hand the keys over to Kevin Foggy at least. And if you don't, then give it to Lord and Miller. Uh, you know, in fact, give your entire Spider-Man universe to Lord and Miller. Like, let them just reboot everything and start fresh. Because I'm just absolutely terrified of Sony producing their own Miles Morales film without you know, these key people involved because they they just seem to have no oversight or quality control over there whatsoever. Um, they're just pumping out shit to pump out shit at this point. And trust me, we'll talk about pumping out shit uh, when we get to the review. But I mean, I'm there with you. I don't trust Sony uh, all that much, but I feel like the plan really is, especially with, you know, um, Christopher Miller coming out and you know clarifying when this film is coming or supposed to be in production. I feel like the plan really is for Sony to like give, you know, Miller and Lord kind of, you know, Kerblanche over the future of Sony projects with Spider-Man. That's just what I think is going to happen, is what I'm speculating, but you never know. I mean, they've seen so much success with, you know, into the Spider-Verse that I, I feel like you have to go that route. But again, you know, they are still trying <laughs> with films like Madam Web and all that shit. So, um, you know, it's again, I, I just don't trust what they're making anymore, but we'll we'll see what happens. Well, speaking of terrifying, apparently there might be a Plastic Man film in the works with an unorthodox choice for director. Rumored by DCU leaks on Reddit, it was believed by their sources that Darren Aronofsky, who directed The Whale, could be on to direct a Plastic Man film 
which actually got a response from James Gunn, who decided to write out three other rumored stories along with this one and claimed only one of them was untrue. The additional rumors were that there's going to be open casting for a character in Supergirl named Ruthie, that there's also a Sergeant Rock film in the works, and a Teen Titans film is in early development. James Gunn wished us all good luck in figuring out which one is the lie. So I'm going to apologize up front because all my takes have been a little spicier this week. I mean, if you can't tell by my voice, I'm still somehow battling the flu or or cold or whatever after a month, but I can't begin to imagine what this film would be like. I mean, I've seen a lot of Aronofsky's work and it's all depressing as all hell. Like, I mean, <laughs> he's extremely talented, but it just feels like a real bizarre choice for the character. Uh, who knows? He may have a great darker take on Plastic Man. I mean, I remember Frank Miller uh, in The Dark Knight Strikes Again, which, mind you, is not a good book at all. But he had a really, like, interesting interpretation of Plastic Man that was pretty messed up, but interesting. Uh, but, I don't know, like, in my head, a director like Edgar Wright would be a better fit. I don't know, what do you think, Christian? Oh, I could totally see, you know, Aronofsky working with someone like Tom King to make, like, a Heroes in Crisis style, like, Plastic Man story. Or hell, even a Mr. Miracle style story. Um, I could I could definitely see them reworking um, the character like that. And I could totally see James Gunn um, being behind that as well. Um, they like to make, you know, projects like that. So I'm I'm interested in where they might be going with Plastic Man, but I understand wanting someone like Edgar Wright or someone who does a little bit more whimsical and fun uh, <laughs> films um, to want to work with a character like Plastic Man. But I think there's a lot of dark angles you could take at the character as well. Well, we also have a quick Star Wars update. Collider got an exclusive this week that Star Wars The Acolyte is heading to Disney Plus this summer, but no clear release date has been put on it just yet. Just expect it sometime between June and, you know, August. Well, straight out developed to hell, it looks like a live-action Masters of the Universe film has gained some traction this week. Deadline sources this week claim that Travis Knight, director of Bumblebee and Kubo and the Two Strings, is close to a deal with Amazon for the reimagining of Masters of the Universe. Rewrites are also said to be underway with Chris Butler, who worked on the Kubo film alongside Travis. So I'm currently loving Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe Revolution series. I'm about three episodes in, and you know, growing up, if you're a follower of her Instagram account, you could probably guess that I was a pretty big Motu fan and still am. So I'm all for this. Um, it's such an untapped IP and it has a huge built in fan base. So, you know, a live action film just makes sense. I mean, with the right budget and story behind it, because even though the storytelling hasn't always been the strongest, um, <laughs> The visuals alone and the character designs, like, I mean, He-Man is just made for the big screen, honestly. And I'm still waiting for John Cena to play him. Well, it looks like fans of Dune got some huge surprise casting news recently. During the premiere of Dune Part 2 in London, many were surprised to find out that Anya Taylor-Joy was a part of the film, as she made an appearance for the event. Uh, she's apparently an important character in the franchise, however, the role has not been disclosed by Variety as to avoid spoilers. Though you're just one Google search away, as many people have been posting the credits online showing exactly which character she's playing. But for those who want to wait, the film will be hitting your local theater March 1st. Listen, she's an amazing actress, and that's one hell of a cast. I'm really surprised that they were able to keep her 
being in the film under wraps for this long. I mean, that's pretty impressive nowadays. Yeah, I can't remember the last time um, there was a announcement of the casting at a actual premiere, you know, to get that close to the actual date of the film coming out and no one knowing, um, you know, because we've been seeing, you know, just leaks and leaks and leaks from sets lately. So it's very impressive that they were able to keep her a secret um, entirely. But again, we'll learn more about her character uh, when the movie comes out pretty soon. Well, lastly, on the horror front, it looks like fans of Megan are going to have to wait a little longer to see the sequel. Originally set for January 17th, 2025, Bloody Disgusting has learned that the sequel to Megan, Megan 2.0, has been pushed back to May 16th, 2025. Well, Christian, this past weekend, we got our first teaser trailer for Deadpool and Wolverine. Wilson? Who's asking? Whoa, 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 whoa. Is that supposed to be scary? Pegging isn't new for me, friendo, but it is for Disney. All right, as a long-suffering Bears fan, like most years, the only real reason to look forward to the Super Bowl is all the new movie trailers for some of our favorite franchises. Uh, this year was obviously no exception, as anticipation was high for the first teaser trailer for the long-awaited Deadpool and Wolverine film, uh, the team-up that everyone's been talking about since the film was announced a while back. And let me tell you, in my opinion, this teaser did not disappoint. Uh, we start things off with the gang all back together. Uh, we see a lot of characters from the first two Deadpool films gathered to celebrate Wade's birthday. Uh, this includes characters that technically died in the last film, including Vanessa and most of X-Force. So right off the bat, we established that the end credits of Deadpool 2 is in fact canon uh, because we did have some questions, you know, because it's a Deadpool film. But for those who don't remember, in Deadpool 2, during the end credits, Wade steals Cable's time travel device and undoes a lot of the deaths that take place in the sequel. Uh, but anyway, back to current day, it looks like it's been a couple years since we last met up with Wade. And even though this is supposed to be a joyous occasion, there seems to be an underlying sadness happening here. Uh, I'm assuming that perhaps time traveling didn't solve all of Deadpool's problems because it, it feels like maybe Vanessa and Wade aren't even together, or at least there's some sort of tension happening. Also, uh, there's a moment in this trailer where Wade looks like he's wearing some sort of work uniform. Uh, so I'm wondering if perhaps he's actually retired from being a mercenary for some reason. And if that's the case, I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing some type of like taxi job with Dupinder. But I didn't really catch that vibe that he was like, you know, sad in that moment. But it did seem like he had been, you know, done superheroing for a while. During the party, there's a knock at the door from the TVA rocking slightly an altered look. Uh, and right off the bat, the teaser just lets you know that this is the Deadpool that we all remember, just putting a lot of fears to rest about Disney watering down the humor, uh, you know, with a fourth wall breaking pegging joke. Uh, <laughs> 
So um, I definitely didn't expect that to be airing in the middle of the Super Bowl. Uh, but I mean, hey, I, I think it saved us from a lot of articles speculating whether or not this will be like a PG-13 version of Deadpool, even though Kevin Faki has come out multiple times saying, hey, this is rated R, relax people. To be fair, you know, Echo was like kind of promoted as like a, a hard R type of show. Well, at least that's how I felt based off the promotions. Um, that they were going to go a little bit more extreme there. And that turned out to be a little bit softer, more close to a PG-13 experience. But I'm glad that we did get to see, you know, that this is going to achieve that same Deadpool humor like everyone expects it to. Wade is then dragged off by the TVA. Uh, he meets up with the actor from Succession, uh, Matthew McFadden, who in light of the events of Loki season two seems to be filling in for Mobius's role. Um, it, it looks like he is actually trying to recruit Deadpool for some sort of mission. Uh, at one point, we actually see him watching monitors featuring past MCU films like Winter Soldier, Age of Ultron and Thor Ragnarok. But anyway, he goes on to curiously call Wade special and says that he has a chance to be a hero amongst heroes. This, of course, goes straight to Deadpool's head to the point that he actually calls himself Marvel Jesus. Uh, so what does all this mean? I have no clue. Uh, I assumed it would actually be Wade fucking with the time stream in Deadpool 2 that would put him in odds with the TVA, but maybe there's something with what he did that caught their attention and, you know, now they want to recruit him. Or maybe it has something to do with Wade's ability to break the fourth wall uh, and, you know, see things for how they really are. Or maybe this is all BS and something else is going on here. Because later on in the trailer, we see Deadpool fighting the TVA uh, once again. So... I don't know. Also, with the lack of Mobius, it definitely feels like this takes place after Loki season two, uh, which is unfortunate because I was looking forward to seeing Owen Wilson again, who was heavily rumored to be in this movie. Uh, also, uh, McFadden's character looks like he's going to be named Mr. Paradox. At least that's the name floating around right now on the Internet, which in the comics, I believe, is an actual variant or clone of Mobius. So maybe since they lost the first Mobius, they went and plucked another one from a different reality to lead the TVA. Um, I don't know, but I like the idea of learning about this new version of, you know, the TVA and how they operate. But anyway, while all this is happening, we go into straight montage mode since this is a traditional teaser trailer. Uh, and we see a moment where it looks like Deadpool might be in Madripoor, uh, but that's only a guess based on the fact that we see the back of Wolverine sitting at a casino of some sort in his classic patch persona, white tux and all. Uh, we also get multiple scenes of Wade murdering TVA agents in the snow, which might possibly be Sokovia, uh, you know, just based on the fact that they were monitoring um, Age of Ultron at one point back in the TVA. Uh, you know, in the very beginning of the teaser. This all just makes me wonder how many like moments, you know, Deadpool's gonna pop up in. Um, like imagine if he like somehow stopped the missile that changed Wanda and, you know, Quicksilver's life altogether or if he just took out quicksilver in his own way like maybe he's the one that shoots him there's so many things that you could just play around with in this real film <laughs> if they wanted to so like i said before it looks like something definitely goes down between deadpool and the tva that pits the two of 
you know, against each other. Um, but, you know, before I forget, also, we see a silhouette of a bald person from behind. Uh, this could be possibly our rumored villain, Cassandra Nova, who, for those who don't know, is the evil twin of Professor X. She's extremely powerful in the comics, and she's responsible for a mutant genocide murdering millions of people in Genosha. Uh, so, I mean, she really could be behind everything that is happening when all is said and done. I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, if they're going to actually do the character justice, um, that would make sense. Also, by the looks of things, we're definitely headed to the Void, uh, which for those who don't know is the Limbo Realm introduced in Loki. It's where everything that gets pruned by the TVA is sent to. Uh, we get glimpses even seemingly of Eliath. There's also a great gunfu moment uh, from Deadpool. Uh, we see part of the 20th century Fox sign, which is most likely an omen that the whole universe might have been pruned and sent there, uh, which is both sad and hilarious at the same time. Uh, we also see Pyro, which was a huge surprise. Yeah, I honestly forgot about the entire character until he showed up in this trailer and then everyone was like, oh, it's God, it's Pyro. And we know for a fact, you know, just from leaked photos alone, that he won't be the only Brotherhood of Evil Mutant character we run into in this film. Uh, there's also just tons of easter eggs that the internet is still unpacking uh like someone noticed a secret wars comic book from hickman's run featuring dr doom laying on the ground we also see wreckage from a shield helicarrier um some people think they see a fantastic four vehicle in the background which at this point i think has pr been pretty much confirmed from leaked photos um but yeah like i said before there's gonna be tons tons of easter eggs i'm sure to be unpacked for months to come, um, you know, from this trailer alone. But the teaser ends with Wade being engulfed by the shadow of Wolverine as he berates him to pick him up, of course, until he pops his claws to do so. Uh, so it looks like Logan is also in the void. I guess it's probably more of a question on whether or not he's been pruned or if he's also been recruited by the TVA, especially since earlier on in the trailer, we do see Deadpool about to approach Wolverine in Mandrapore. Um, but I guess only time will tell. All in all, I thought the teaser was great. I mean, it looks and feels like the real Deadpool, which is important. And, you know, they gave us just enough without giving away too much. Um, you know, like I'm really, really surprised that they resisted showing us Wolverine up front and center. But honestly, I, I hope they keep it this way. Um, you know, like, there's no reason to ruin the hundreds of rumored cameos that they supposedly have in this movie. I mean, at this point, we've heard everything from Jennifer Garner returning as Elektra, to Taylor Swift playing Dazzler, to Fox's Fantastic Four showing up. I mean, this possibly could be some weird adaptation of Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, uh, which... I would be fine with, or who knows, perhaps he's even trying to save his own universe from being pruned. Um, I could see it honestly going either way. Now, what we do know is the events of this movie are going to lead directly into Secret Wars. So I am curious to see if any of these rumored cameos um, from, you know, all the previous Fox films end up somehow making it out of this film alive other than Logan and, you know, Deadpool. No, I think... 
personally uh these are all cannon fodder uh i think it's gonna get real gruesome i think we're gonna see plenty of death uh <laughs> coming from this film um uh, you know, I, there's a lot of concepts that they can play with, uh, with the idea of the TVA, you know, bringing in Deadpool, giving someone who's already a fourth wall breaker like that, you know, the, the keys to the fucking universe to help them potentially prune. Like I thought from the trailer that they might've been trying to help, like get him to help prune a lot of what the X-Men universe was. And maybe he was going to be the one sending these people to the void. Um, but then probably coming at odds when he realizes that he might have to send his own you know, universe and people that he knows to the void as well um, to stop that from happening. So that's kind of where I think that's going. But I also could see, you know, the potential of like TVA agents approaching someone like Cassandra Nova and her getting into their minds and realizing, you know, the potential of the power that she could have at a place like the TVA. I, I think that she would probably want to go after that power. So that would be like kind of her motivation. And of course, you know, Deadpool will have to be the one to solve that problem. If not, I could see their conflict causing an incursion as well. Um, maybe even, you know, the incursion of all incursions that, you know, fucking really starts to break down the entire Marvel universe. I would not be surprised if they wanted to make Deadpool kind of the catalyst of what you know becomes Secret Wars in the end. As far as the Wolverine Madripoor scene, I actually think that it's going to be like a bait and switch. I think, you know, when we turn around the chair, it'll be a completely different actor. I've been seeing people speculate that it could be Daniel Radcliffe uh, as Wolverine. I, I, I doubt that one, but I'm sure that there's plenty of uh, people that they could throw in that would have been speculated to play the part of uh, Wolverine in the MCU. Kind of like what we got with Mr. Fantastic and uh, John Krasinski back from Multiverse of Madness. But I think, you know, we've been speculating a lot of rumors like this where, you know, potential people will showing up, like you just said, which makes me think that the second trailer, um, you know, this one was done in a, you know, wisely showing mostly just Deadpool in action. And I feel like if they want to hide a lot of those cameos, the next one will probably be more just like Deadpool and Wolverine, like showing off more of Wolverine scenes without giving away too much of the film. At least that's the way I would try and do it as to, you know, keep as many secrets as possible. But, you know, there's always the temptation of showing off more, you know, uh, potential cameos and such like that, especially in a film where it's probably going to have a ton. Um, and I, I again, I just think they're all going to get killed. Uh <laughs> At least this film is almost coming out. Uh, it will be out July 26th, 2024. All right, Christian, before we move on, I did want to quickly touch upon the X-Men 97 trailer that we got this week. We have to stay vigilant. The professor entrusted us with his dream. No matter how dark it is, we must believe in each other. We get this done by working together as a team. Jeez, Bob, keep buzzing in my ear. So this series is long awaited. Um, I was shocked when it was first announced and I'm just so happy that it's finally almost here. Um, just judging by the animation alone, it feels like they've really done a great job of capturing the spirit of the original series. Um, the animation is updated, obviously, but it's still at the same time pays homage to that original show, which, you know, is just fantastic. 
Um, it, it looks like they've got most of the voice cast back. Uh, we have the original team back with some new additions, which was always an issue I had with the original series. I felt like no one ever actually joined the team, like it, no new characters, that is. Like we had a bunch of cameos and guest appearances, but like the roster never shaked up, which, you know, is strange because in the X-Men comic book that happened all the time, like almost monthly. Uh, but it looks like Bishop is joining the team uh, this time around and also Sunspot. Uh, it looks like Jean is pregnant with Scott's baby or, you know, maybe it's Wolverine's, who knows? Uh, but, you know, and, you know, we're starting off right where we left off with the original X-Men series, which is, you know, seeing Professor X on his deathbed. Now here, the trailer makes it seem like Professor X actually dies. Um, and I don't know if this is just a case of them having to fake his death for the legality of like the school or something like that, like who inherits the school, which we'll get into in a minute. But in the original series, Professor X doesn't actually die. He just goes off to the Shi'ar Empire uh, because that's the only place that can keep him alive. He just can never actually return to Earth for some reason. Um, so I don't know if they just decided to retcon that because it is a little convoluted. Um, you know, but here in the trailer, we do see Magneto inheriting the mansion from Professor X. Now, in the 80s, at one point, Magneto does end up leading the X-Men um, in this god-awful costume, which it looks like we're actually going to get to see here. So, <laughs> um, it, it's, it really is an eyesore, uh, especially since, you know, Magneto has probably one of the best costumes in comics. Uh, the fact that they put him this, like, purple monstrosity with a giant M in the front is just, I don't, I don't understand what Claremont was thinking. But anyway, um, I, I don't know. This, this trailer was everything and more than I could ask for. I, I literally got chills watching it. I loved hearing the theme music again. Um, one thing that I'm really looking forward to is just, you know, modern animation action scenes, uh, which if you go back and rewatch the original series, the action scenes are a little lackluster, but, you know, we get that closing shot of Gambit jumping on Wolverine's back and just charging up his claws, which is just amazing. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm really excited for this series, if you can't tell. So, And this one's coming to you on Disney Plus on March 20th, so not too far away. And now for the nerds review of Madam Web. Heavy spoilers ahead. And now our feature presentation. Welcome back to Volhand of the Living. I don't understand what's happening. I've been having visions. I knew he was gonna die. I think I'm seeing the future. New York City's a whole new level of crazy these days. What do you want from me? Cassandra Webb is a New York metropolis paramedic who begins to demonstrate signs of clairvoyance, forced to challenge revelations she needs to safeguard three young women from a deadly adversary who wants them destroyed. Uh, Madam Webb was directed by S.J. Clarkson and stars Dakota Johnson. But, um, so this was a movie, and I'm not sure why it was made other than to maybe start a, like, Spider-Woman cinematic universe. Like, everything we said before on the show, it just really was something where Sony threw as many darts at an idea board as possible, hoping that, you know, some of these concepts would get you excited enough um, to want to see more. 
and um, I don't think a single thing in this film was worthwhile enough to warrant uh, the many spin-offs it promotes. Like this, in the end, for me, just felt like a two-hour trailer for probably more interesting characters than Madam Web. But uh, let's get right on into it. Uh, Dakota Johnson playing Cassandra Webb is a paramedic who's also just not a people person at all. Like, I guess the point is that she just doesn't want to get close to people that she's saving, maybe uh, to just avoid you know, the feeling of loss, especially, you know, not having grown up with a family herself. But through circumstances out of her control, she starts gaining these abilities um, from a tribe who gained powers from a spider in which her mother went to go look for while she was pregnant. And so Cassandra starts seeing visions of people deaths before they happen. Um, the death scenes themselves were probably the strongest thing about the entire film. Um, it's very heavy on that final destination element, but her problem solving wasn't always the most exciting you know, ways to save all these people. And while she doesn't have control over the visions, eventually they just kind of exposition dump on her and she becomes super powerful without any training or, you know, even trial and error, really, which, of course, led to a very dull final act. But, you know, I'll get there eventually. Uh, Dakota Johnson herself wasn't an issue for this film. Like, I felt like she nailed what was given to her, but the script itself really hits you over the head with the fact that she's becoming, you know, these girls surrogate mother and creating this you know family that she never had as we learn of julia anya and uh, maddie's troubles at home and you know lack of family themselves uh, the bond they grow you know never really felt natural but it was such a big part of the film like there were so many scenes where they just spent their time together almost doing these like trauma dumping competitions where one would you know bring up you know her tragic past and then the next would be like well you think that's bad i went through this and it would just keep happening throughout the film and it's just like all trying to endear Cassandra to them because she herself has had a bad childhood or well grew up in the foster care system but at a certain point this all just felt like they were guilt tripping you know Cassandra into taking care of them because even after saving their lives twice from Ezekiel um, she still tries to just you know get rid of them as fast as possible because she's just not a people person uh <laughs> But what did surprise me about this story in general just was that this wasn't an origin story for these girls. Um, in fact, all the scenes of them geared up as spider women um, that we saw in the trailer are all we get in the film. Um, they're just glimpses of the future and we don't really get to see them spider woman up and fight crime or Ezekiel for that matter. Um, as this film does directly focus on Madame Webb coming into her abilities, which are loosely explained, um, she doesn't get any of the super you know, strength and agility that these people from the tribe were getting. And at the same time, Ezekiel got all the strength abilities, but doesn't have like the future seeing stuff as much. He only gets to see the future in his dreams. So they're kind of fast and loose with the rules there of, you know, what ability goes to who um, Ezekiel's whole mission in this is that he saw you know Anya Julia and Maddie um, in the future as you know spider women you know kill him uh, though it's not explained why they killed him um, why spider people would be interested in murdering someone like that because uh, they kill him in like cold blood like it, they just shove his ass out a window like it's not a matter of like he's trying to stop them or you know it, the typical like spider-man thing where like the bad guy just can't help himself and gets himself killed. No, they just straight up kick his ass and throw him out a window. <laughs> but it's never really explained why. And they're also going after his spider in his dream, uh, which he's obsessed with the spider. Um, but before I get too far into um, Ezekiel, uh, I just want to say I, I didn't have any problems with the performances. Um, from our main four. I just felt like the script didn't do them any, you know, justice. Um, and, you know, they just kind of exposition dumped everything that they had as, you know, often as possible. 
um, to try and create a sense of bonding between them instead of like them just bonding through experience. Um, and it just didn't work for me on that level. But what was even weaker than that was, you know, the performance and script for our villain, which was Ezekiel, who every time he would speak, um, there was just no menace to his performance. I just never like felt like he was all that evil or something to worry about. Now, him in the black suit was menacing at times. Um, there's a great sequence where, you know, he's fucking up cops in a train station. And it really, you know, gives you this sense of like, you know, what if Spider-Man was a killer, essentially? You know, what if he you know, was straight up evil, but then, the rest of the film, he doesn't really get that, you know, that feeling, you know, he he's strong enough to snap people's necks and break bones, but he also has this ability to poison people. Um, and that's an ability that takes time. He has to hold their like a part of them for a, a long sequence for his poison to get into the bloodstream and like like give them paralysis and all this shit. And he for some reason, instead of just using his overwhelming strength to kill people, he prefers to do that, um, which is kind of the main reason why his victims are able to just get away from him. You know, as long as they, you know, disconnect, you know, his from his touch fast enough, he can't kill you. Uh, <laughs> and it just becomes, you know, an obvious plot device, you know, to keep our you know main four alive throughout this entire film. But beyond that with Ezekiel, there was also like, I don't know if it was just part of the reshoots or if they were trying to get rid of something he was saying during a lot of his, you know, speaking you know, role parts. A lot of the parts we see him out of the suit. Um, he has these scenes um, with kind of like, you know, his guy at the computer who's watching all the cameras to find, you know, the girls. And every time we would see them talk, it was like clearly they did some new audio takes for him because like his mouth would be moving, but they would not like the words were not matching up like several occasions. Um, I don't know if, you know, because we, we heard rumors that there was, you know, a ton of things that were referencing, you know, Peter Parker and, you know, stuff going on with his family and stuff like that. And I don't know if they just tried to cut around that um, and just had him record new lines because it was clearly, you know, brand new ADR for this, um, you know, the, all those sequences. And it's just so odd. Um, I don't know why it came off like that because it's clear that his you know, words are just not matching up. You know, there was a lot of weird technical choices um, in this film. Um, there's like, for some reason, there's moments where the film feels like it's being shot in the same way as like The Office with the way that they're zooming in on characters and the cameras shaking and stuff like that. Tons of uh, like almost seizure inducing flashing sequences that even though I'm not seizure prone, um, were affecting my eyes, just how much it was like cutting and flashing a, a white light out of nowhere in my face. I, I, I don't know why they were doing that. I like, I guess the aesthetic was for her like big trance state sequences when she was looking into the past. It just was affecting me. Um, <laughs> that, that might just be a case by case, you know, scenario, but that was what was happening to me at least um also the cgi um i do have to mention you know it wasn't like at flash levels of bad but at the same time it felt like a downgraded version of what we you know would see from like a typical like dr strange sequence she would go into this like big trance world and it was clearly like her entire self was computer generated and the body would move completely unnaturally and stuff like that. It's just something that probably needed a little bit more time, but it wasn't like the worst thing I've seen, you know, in this past few years. So I'm not gonna, you know, be too harsh on it, but it just was a little bit lower than, you know, what even I would expect from like a video game these days. But I think it gets a little bit more of a pass because it didn't really affect the action sequences. Because um, the action sequences themselves didn't need any CGI because, you know, Cassandra 
Webb isn't much of a fighter. All her ability was really allowing her to do was kind of see glimpses into the future. And once she, you know, becomes her full potential, yeah, she is able to just like keep predicting things. So she's just mostly dodging and getting out of the way of stuff throughout the entire, you know, final act. And because Ezekiel is instead of, you know, just easily grabbing and killing these you know girls she just is able to keep you know dodging out of his way um she does have another ability but it, it only happens once and it's not really even important to mention uh <laughs> it just would have been so much cooler if ezekiel could have been kind of like the spider-man version of michael byers you know like you get to see this you know cold-blooded killer with all of spider-man's abilities um so I was really disappointed on that front. Not that that was something that they presented in any of the trailers, but it really felt like they could have gone that way with this film and would have probably made for a more exciting villain. So where I see films like, you know, Venom and Morbius as like bad movies, cause they have, you know, it's clearly bad and there's plenty of stuff to talk about there. This one really just lands on the term mid. Like there's so many like uninteresting storylines um, everything's just so exposition heavy and it created this uninteresting main character and a lackluster villain um, and I just all, overall feel like this whole film is just going to be forgettable because of that you know it ends in this way where it's like you know my x-men kind of like ending where it's like she she's creating her own team but we never get to see any origin stories there's no fucking you know really spider abilities on display you know i was surprised that like ezekiel couldn't web swing or anything like that he just kind of does hops everywhere it's as far removed from you know anything you would expect from a you know spider flick in general so i I don't know. I don't know what they were really thinking with this when there's so many more interesting characters that they could play around with. But maybe this is a better thing uh, that they didn't touch <laughs> any of those better Spider Women characters because uh, it probably would have been shit anyway because it's Sony at this point. Um, I think I left the theater at a C minus, but you know, talking about it and you know, writing this review. Um, I think it definitely dropped my grade down to a solid D. This is just a very skippable movie. Um, I wouldn't go to the theaters for it. I, if you want to check it out, maybe wait till it's on streaming. I've been hearing rumors that it's going to go to DVD pretty fast because the numbers aren't doing too well uh, box office wise. So um, it is what it is. I totally forgot about this because I, I was avoiding all the fucking Ben Parker bullshit because I didn't need to talk about it. But of course, they had to add, you know, lines about fucking responsibility, but they don't want to say the line. They don't want to say, you know, fucking with great power comes great responsibility. So they have like three different like workarounds for it and they're all fucking stupid. <laughs> they talk about how Uncle Ben is going to be an uncle now and you know, he's gonna have all the fun without any of the responsibility. And then, <laughs> and then also the people from the tribe keep telling, you know, Cassandra with great responsibility comes great power. So like a reverse of the line too. I, I don't know why. Just Sony, stop making these movies, please. God damn it. <laughs> and now it's time for Christian's Corner. So last week, speculation and rumors went flying over the potential end of Xbox exclusivity. 
with its major titles, of course, and you know, left a lot of fans in uproar. So Xbox head, you know, Phil Spencer had decided to come out with people, you know, to address these claims and clarify what was really going on. While yes, there will be four exclusive Game Pass titles making their way to other consoles, they won't be like the heavy hitters that were on everyone's minds. And while they interestingly enough did not disclose which four games it would be, they claim that they were titles that had been out for a while. Uh, many sites are speculating that it could be like Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves. Um, but Film claimed that, you know, they're leaving those announcements for, you know, the games and their developers to, you know, come out and promote them on their own. But games like Starfield and other Bethesda titles, you know, like Indiana Jones are still going to be locked to Xbox. Um, my take on all this is that they're really going to go about this in a similar fashion to how we saw PlayStation, you know, kind of doing their own stuff with PC lately. Um, but just on a bigger scale, trying to get it on everything that they can because Microsoft likes money. Uh, Microsoft as a whole, though, has been rumored to be running out of patience with Game Pass and take this with a grain of salt. You know, I haven't seen any like legit sources talking about this, but I would not be surprised if games going third party is something higher ups are looking at as a way to draw in better revenue than what Game Pass itself is offering them. I'm not going to put you know, the end of exclusivities, you know, on the like in the trash. I feel like there's still a big chance we could see you know, more of these happening over the years and that this is just testing the waters. That's just my own personal opinion. Um, this could all just be, you know, older games might just make it their way out there. And if that's the new model, that's the new model. You know, if it's like something that's like two to three years old and they don't think that they're going to be making any extra money off of it, why not? You know, um, but speaking of Game Pass, the wait for Activision games to show up there is almost over as it was announced Diablo 4 would be appearing on the service in March, which is a game I've been interested in trying out myself. So we will see if I get to that. But I'm mostly just waiting for Call of Duty to show up there because I don't want to spend money on a Call of Duty game, but I do enjoy the experience of playing them as something I can just easily jump in and out of whenever. Um, over at Sony, though, we got some news from, you know, from director Hiroki during a business earnings call that as of now, there will be no big sequels to their exclusives coming out for, you know, for PS5 until like after the next fiscal year ends in April of 2025. Uh, but that doesn't mean that new IP isn't, you know, on its way, you know, the non-sequels, of course. We still have the Wolverine game to be coming out and several other titles that were already previously announced um, that don't seem to be getting pushed just yet. At least they haven't mentioned any pushes. Um, so don't get worried there, but it just seems like, you know, the last of us part three and, you know, big titles like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn's next game uh, probably won't be coming out till like maybe winter of 2025 or later. The company also claims that they're expecting the lifespan of the PS5 to be kind of on the decline, you know, coming to an end soon, as Sony is expecting their sales to be dropping over the next few years and they're bracing their investors about that. Um, could this mean that the production of the PS6 is already in the works? Um, I know I'm not personally ready for another console generation just yet, but we are already close to getting the next Switch. And that's usually a telltale sign of when, you know, the next, you know, new consoles from Xbox and PlayStation, you know, start to be developed and start to come out. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But, you know, after everything that happened during the, uh, you know, COVID with, you know, PlayStation and Xbox and people not being able to buy any, it just feels so different this time around um, with how long these consoles should last. Like, it feels like we shouldn't be anywhere near uh, <laughs> the midlife saying of the PS5, but, you know, it it is what it is. Um, there's still plenty of good games coming out for it, so I'm excited to see at least where that goes. 
Um, streaming wise, things are still in the works. I had a couple of big things pop up this week that made it impossible for me to start this past Tuesday. So now I'm aiming for next Tuesday um, so that we can you know do something a bit more casual and get back into you know some gaming. So keep an eye out on our socials at Amazing Nerd Show and I'll keep you guys up to date with what I'm doing gaming wise. Uh, but otherwise, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling, Damon. And thank God, thank God at the time there was an EVP here with a sense of brains. And I'm not talking about Kenny Omega. So this week, we're kind of recording things out of order um, due to scheduling conflicts and me being sick. Uh, but you know, and, and Christian's actually doing us a favor right now and taking a bullet for the team and checking out Madam Web. So uh, he was able to hop on and, you know, talk some wrestling with me. But I'm going to go ahead and fly solo for a little bit, uh, at least while I still have a voice. Um, this past week, we had some interesting developments in WWE. Uh, we had a great promo between Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins really helping to explain why they're on the same page now, um, undoing some of the character damage that they did to Seth's character with how they handled this whole entire angle, um, pretty much with Seth getting buried left and right for the last couple of weeks. Uh, but, you know, I, I felt like Seth did some great work here, really, really just helping people understand why he's the man to help Cody Rhodes and how he can kind of work as, you know, Cody's wild card against Roman, since there's no one who knows Roman more than Seth. Um, you know, just bringing up their history to the point where I almost started wondering whether or not, like, could Seth be turning on Cody here and joining Roman? <laughs> but that's my cynical WWE brain. Um, you know, you got to always look for the swerve. Uh, but, you know, I thought the promo was really well done. Um, they're just choosing to completely ignore the fact that, you know, Cody did hand over his spot to Rock. Um, they're just pretending that didn't happen at this point, And that's probably for the best. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still a convoluted mess, but... You know, I feel like they're doing their best to get things back on track. And I'm just still, once again, I'm just happy that they've learned to pivot and listen to their fans. Because I guarantee you, if Vince was still running this company, um, that wouldn't be happening right now. We would be getting Rock versus, you know, Roman. So, um... Now, on SmackDown, we did have Rock show up with Roman and officially join the bloodline. Rocky seems to be bringing back the Hollywood Rock swagger of old. Um, he's even rocking a very similar style shirt uh, <laughs> like he did back in the past. Uh, I, I gotta say, like, I wasn't too impressed with his promo. It just feels like it's the same old, same old. So I was a little disappointed. I I'm hoping that he can add a new wrinkle to his heel character um, because I don't know right now it just feels like old hat and you know we've been there we've done that so I would like to see him I don't know reinvent the character a little and add a different dimension perhaps I mean don't get me wrong he's still incredibly over and to the point where I'm a little worried that I could see people you know cheering for the rock over Cody at Mania but what I'm guessing is going to happen, and it feels like it's all but confirmed at this point, is we're going to get that tag match with Cody teaming with Seth, of course, against Rock and Roman. Um, 
I'm guessing that's probably night one. And like I said, it's pretty much a given, especially after they did that big Super Bowl commercial, kind of hyping it up, you know, without actually announcing the match. Uh, but I'm going to guess that there's probably going to be some tension between The Rock and Roman. And eventually we'll see something happen where they turn on each other and, you know, it'll all set up to a match, you know, next year at WrestleMania. So, but so far, so good, I will say, on the WWE front. Uh, this past week, um, I thought we had two solid shows for AEW. Um, you know, starting off with Collision and uh, ending with Dynamite. Uh, Dynamite, in particularly, like, it felt like a great show, even though, like, on paper, it felt very much like a, you know, filler episode or a transitional episode, you know, just doing some like, you know, angle progression and not much more. Uh, but man, I feel like the show over delivered with some fantastic matches. I mean, Dax versus Moxley was the match that I didn't know I needed in my life, but I'm glad that I got because those two guys just beat the shit out of each other for about 15 minutes. Um, you know, we saw Moxley go over. I love the fact that we're actually getting like tag team feuds that don't revolve around the tag team belts right now. Um, you know, and a lot of them seem to be driven by FTR. They just had the feud with uh, House of Black and now they're feuding, you know, with the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, I'm totally fine with that. Like, there's no reason why we can't have tag teams feuding and, you know, for it not to be over the tag team belts um especially if you know right now you don't have any plans for either of those teams to go after the titles you know since it's all wrapped up with sting and darby and you know their angle with the bucks so let these two awesome teams beat the shit out of each other for a while i'm i'm definitely down for that and that's kind of what we got the beginnings of here i know next week we're supposed to be getting a match between ftr and uh claudio and moxley so and i'm sure that's going to be a barn burner so in other highlights from AEW, I thought the Garcia and Edge match was really good. I think Edge gave Garcia a lot and really put him over throughout the match, um, even with the match ending in a no contest. Um, I thought it was an interesting development that uh, Edge was taken out by a concerto uh, from the patriarchy. Uh, it makes me wonder whether or not we'll actually see Edge at the pay-per-view or maybe we're going to see Garcia facing off against Christian. Um, which if that's the case, I really do hope Garcia walks away with the title. I think that'd be great. Um, you know, we also got a solid match from the women's division with Willow facing off against Sky Blue, which I was astounded by the fact that commentary was saying this was the first time that they faced off against each other. I could have sworn they've wrestled each other at least 20 times in the past, but apparently that's not the case at all. Um, Willow ended up winning uh, after Stokely basically distracted the referee. Um, Sky Blue had the visual three count on Willow, if not more. <laughs> um, I don't know. I... <laughs> It feels like they're maybe teasing a Willow Chris Statlander heel turn. I mean, Stokely is very much a heel manager still. So I'm curious to see where this angle is all headed um, because I don't know. Willow has no real business being a heel. So I don't know. Maybe this relationship with Stokely will end up putting, you know, Willow and Chris like at odds with each other and that ends up becoming a program. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But so some other brief highlights. Uh, I did like the Swerve Joe 
Hangman promo. Um, I'm glad that, you know, Joe came out looking like the alpha male here because I feel like he's been kind of lost in the shuffle. But Joe is such a strong promo that he was really able to kind of, I don't know, reset the table when it came to this angle and really, you know, put himself front and center and remind everyone that he's the fucking champion. You're going to have to beat him. Well, I guess in a three way, you don't have to beat him. But, you know, once again, just reminding us like why he's such a great champion. Um, I still don't think Joe's going to drop the title at Revolution. I mean, a lot of people are pointing to, you know, Strickland walking away with that title. I think that might happen you know, maybe at the next pay-per-view, but not here at Revolution. I think they're going to keep it with Joe, and then eventually we're going to see a one-on-one match between Joe and Swerve, uh, and that's when Swerve will actually end up winning. I just don't want Swerve's big title win to feel tainted, you know, especially if he, you know, picks up the pin fall against Adam, you know, Page instead of Samoa Joe. Uh, So... I don't know. I would much rather have Swerve's big win come in a singles bout, not in some weird, you know, three-way dance. So, um, you know, the one low light for me was the uh, Young Bucks promo with Darby Allen uh, after their match against uh, Top Flight. Um, I don't know. It just felt like a missed opportunity. Like, I didn't mind what Darby was saying in the promo. It's more about what he didn't say. Like, they're trying to paint him as, like, the voice for all of the Young Bucks critics over the years. Um, he's kind of like the CM Punk in this angle, right? Like, he's he's playing that CM Punk role. I feel like at least that's what they're going for, which is fine. Um, but... I don't know. The fact that, like, he barely even mentioned, like, the big attack that took place after their, you know, after they won the tag belts last week, and the fact that they, like, beat on Sting's kids in front of him, like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that should have been the focal point of the promo, not, you know, the Bucks hiring their California friends. So, like, I didn't mind him mentioning Cody. I, I saw a lot of people, like, outraged about that. Like, how could you put over someone else's, you know, star in another company? You know, I like the fact that, you know, wrestling history is AEW's history. And, like, what's going on in the world of wrestling is happening in the world of, you know, AEW. Um, so I'm fine with that. Like, I think it's kind of, like, I don't know, superficial when... Companies act like wrestling doesn't exist outside of their ring. Um, so I don't know. I was fine, you know, with that aspect of the promo. Um, because if it's part of the story, it's part of the story. So why pretend that it's not? Uh, you know, it's not like AEW alluding to Cody Rhodes is all of a sudden going to make all of AEW's fans change the channel and, you know, tune into Raw. So. I, don't know, I felt like that was much to do about nothing. Uh, my bigger issue was just with the overall promo and everything like that. It felt like the Bucks were trying to get over their heel characters more than get over the heat that they now have with Sting and Darby. Uh, you know, with them 
you know, beating the shit out of them, you know, after they won the world titles and then taking out Sting's kids at the same time. I mean, the fact that they're rocking these bloodstained suits like that should be the focus, you know, <laughs> the attack, not, you know, politics in the locker room. So I don't know. I, it felt like they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. And it just I don't know. It, it just didn't work for me. Otherwise, uh, Revolution is shaping up to be an amazing card. Uh, they added Takeshita versus Osprey. Uh, I believe that's going to be Osprey's first match as a full-time wrestler for AEW. Um, the storyline's really convoluted and weird. I guess Don Callis is having them face off uh, because that's how he was raised, fighting his brothers in the backyard. And apparently he says no one else wants to challenge their team, which... I don't know. It, it feels like we're probably getting a Will Ospreay uh, face turn, uh, and this is just their roundabout way of doing it uh, by giving us a great match. I'm fine with. I mean, I don't know why they couldn't just have Osprey show up on Dynamite and turn on Callus and then set up the match. So it's a little convoluted, but whatever. But anyway, the last highlight I wanted to talk about was the main events, which saw Orange Cassidy defeat Matt Taven in a brutal Texas death match. Now, I won't lie, when this match was announced, I really didn't think anything of it. It felt, I don't know, just kind of like filler. Um, I don't even know if the title was actually on the line, which I guess the reason why it wouldn't be is because we know that Strong's going after the belt at Revolution, so Taven's really just trying to soften up Cassidy uh, in this match, uh, and soften him up he did, because this was a bloody mess. I mean, Cassidy was just leaking blood at one point in the middle of this match. Uh, it had a Valentine's Day theme to it, which was a nice touch. Um, you know, I mean... I will say, like, all of AEW's Texas death matches have been pretty much instant classics. Like, they all deliver on their names. So, uh, I think that's really important. Um, so, I don't even know why I doubted this would be a great match. Uh, Taven really impressed me. He really put his body on the line. He was also leaking blood at one point. Um, he dived head first outside of the ring through a table. I've never seen anything like that there's a bunch of great spots too there's one point where orange cassidy pulls out a valentine's day heart and it's of course filled with thumbtacks which then of course saw uh, both him and taven fall into numerous times uh, i believe at one point orange ddt's taven head first of course it's a ddt uh but right into the tax um just an amazing, unforgettable match um, that, you know, ended the show on a real high point. Um, you know, once again, it was a match that I thought would just be total filler. I was actually surprised that it was going to be the main event. Uh, but at the end of the day, like after seeing the match, it all makes sense. Uh, this is the kind of filler episode you want where storylines progress. And at the same time, like you get high quality matches that make sense within the confines of the story that you're trying to build up to your pay-per-views. So I don't know. I thought this was really well done. And once again, uh, you AEW has been putting on a string of really strong dynamites lately. Uh, and Collision hasn't been that bad, too. I know I didn't really talk about Collision, but I don't have much of a voice and I want to go to sleep. But it was a fun week to be a wrestling fan, and God knows we can't always say that. 
But anyway, that's going to do it for our Wrestling In Week review. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. He believed that that if you could do good things for other people, you had a moral obligation to do those things. That's what's at stake here. Not choice, responsibility.